Turn again to John chapter 10, Gospel of John chapter 10. We're looking at a brief passage this morning that's fairly familiar, verses 7 to 10. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Last week we spoke about the force, this old, awesome-sounding expression of Jesus. That it's a heads-up in the middle of confusion that he is about to give us an authoritative pronouncement, an authoritative word of explanation. And so last week, in response to the confusion that came in chapter 9, when Jesus healed the man born blind and... Then they kicked him out of the synagogue, but Jesus searched him out and called him as his own, and and he became a follower of Jesus. And and, and all the confusion that that might generate, Jesus then spoke some clarity to it, and he said, here's what's going on. I am that shepherd that was promised by God in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, and other places. And specifically, I have come to call out my sheep. That's what we talked about last week. But alas, in res- alas uh, that our text last week ended in more confusion. We got to verse 6, and it said that though Jesus spoke these things and drew this nice word picture for them about the shepherd and the sheep, they still didn't understand. So it appears that some further explanation is necessary, some more authoritative word some further interpretation of what's going on. And so again, our text this week begins the same way it did last week in verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Jesus is going to give us another, perhaps clearer word on the same subject, a little more enlightenment. Well, let me read it. Verse 7 to ten, Therefore Jesus said, unto, said again, I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, I say unto thee, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here Jesus explains more explicitly what he was talking about in those first five verses. But it doesn't say exactly the same thing as he said in the first five verses. It's kind of an additional thing. He uses the same kind of shepherd imagery, and yet... He uses it a little bit differently. He makes a different illustration. Two things he wants us to learn, I think, this morning. The first is this. Last week we saw that Jesus is the true shepherd. This week I want us to understand that Jesus alone is the true shepherd. Jesus alone, or only Jesus, is the true shepherd. 
Last week I commented to you something about the growing contempt in our society for anything that sounds exclusive. You use language that sounds like it excludes uh, the other gender or some racial group or some religious group. I've never encountered as much of that or never encountered that as strongly as I did when I was an Air Force chaplain. Now you understand, as an Air Force chaplain, military chaplain, you have complete freedom to teach and preach whatever you believe. It's guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. That's the rules. And so it was perfectly all right to say Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Wow, what a noble and rich religious expression. Certainly part of our faith tradition. That was fine. Oh, but if you ever began to say Jesus alone is the good shepherd, <laughs> now it's a different ballgame. You had better be ready for some opposition. How can you be so narrow? How can you be so bigoted? How can you be so insensitive to other faith traditions? How can you be so arrogant as to say that Jesus alone is the good shepherd? It's all right to say Jesus is the good shepherd. But only Jesus. But that's exactly the point that Jesus is making here himself. That he alone is the true shepherd. Now he makes this point in a couple of different ways. First he draws us a picture. Another shepherding illustration, but it's different than what we had in verses 1 to 5. You see in verses 1 to 5, Jesus was the shepherd, and here he's the door. And, and, and back in verses 1 to 5, he was calling sheep out of the fold, and here he's leading sheep into the fold. And this is confusing, perhaps, and when you read about it, people trying to bring this together, and it doesn't come together very well. It's a different picture. Jesus is still talking about sheep and shepherds and sheep pens, but... He's making a different point and he's using a different illustration in order to show us the exclusiveness of his claim as the shepherd, the true shepherd. I think the key to understanding what Jesus is saying, and most every good commentator that I read would agree that this is the key to understanding, is to understand the difference between the two sheep pens that Jesus uses in his illustration. In the first five verses that we talked about last week, Jesus speaks of a sheep pen, and when we think about what kind of pen, it's one that we knew existed in his day in Israel, where there was like outside of a town, a community, uh, a community sheep pen, or sheep fold. It was large, it, had, it was a permanent structure, it had room for many, many flocks, and shepherds would come, and there was a door, a secure door, and there was a guard, or a watchman, or a doorkeeper, whatever you want to call him, who, who, who guarded the door. You could put your flock in there, and, and, and he would guard the, sh the, the sheep. And then the shepherd would come, and if he was recognized by the watchman, he could call his flock out of there. We talked about Jesus doing just that. But now he talks in these verses about a sheep pen, but it's a different picture. It's also common in Israel. We find, we find uh, references to it outside the Bible of, of how shepherds worked and kind of what... Uh, you know what the situation was and, and but we find a different picture of a sheep pen here is a sheep pen that's out in the field this is not a permanent structure necessarily this is not a big elaborate structure this is basically a, a, a wall of rocks piled up in a circle 
with a little gap for the, for the sheep to get in. And uh, it's just a place to spend the night, a place to get the sheep together and kind of keep the animals out. Here there is no door. Here there is no watchman. There's no other flocks. There's just the shepherd. That's all. Like we read of how the shepherd would lie down in the entrance, in the gap in the wall. That's where he would sleep. Sheep aren't going to come out. If anything wants to come in after the sheep, they've got to deal with the shepherd first. You see here, the shepherd is the door. Here's not many flocks and the shepherd calling out his own. Here's only one flock that is safe only when it hears the shepherd's call and passes by the shepherd at the door into the security of his fold, his sheep pen. That's the picture Jesus is drawing, that he is the shepherd, the door, through which the sheep pass to safety, and he is the only place that they will be saved. Oh, don't misunderstand, Jesus is not teaching that he's not concerned about sheep in general. He only cares about his favorite sheep, let the wolves have the rest of them. No, that's not what he's saying here. This is an exclusive statement about his care for his own flock. And yet in verse 9, Jesus goes so far as to issue an invitation to wandering sheep to come and enter his fold and be safe. Look at verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Sounds like an invitation, doesn't it? See, Jesus is not some callous, hard-hearted shepherd. He's the shepherd of Luke 15 who would go to any length to save one sheep that was lost. Though 99 were safe, he would still go in search of the one. This is not a picture that teaches the lack of concern. It simply teaches the saving truth that only Jesus is the true shepherd who can secure his fold and save them. Anything else is a false hope. Jesus alone is the the door. Jesus alone is the shepherd. Now, if that's not clear enough from the picture, well, then Jesus just says it explicitly here in these verses. You know, sometimes we want to really communicate clearly. It's sometimes important that we not just say what we believe, but to say what that means we don't believe. Not just what we agree to, but what we deny. Not just what we're for, but what that makes us against. That's what Jesus does here, too. He makes clear that he's the true shepherd. Well, that's nice. Lots of people had messianic expectations, aspirations to be the shepherd of Israel. They all thought they were true. Oh, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He not only says he's the true shepherd, he makes sure that we understand that that means all others are imposters. Look at verse 8. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. Now that's pretty exclusive. Jesus says, I'm the true shepherd. I'm the only true shepherd. 
everyone else claiming to be the true shepherd, he's a thief or a robber. Two different words. Thieves mean those who steal by trickery or subtle cunning. The sneak attack. <laughs> Robbers, those, it's a more violent word. The violent bandit who comes and takes what's not his. And who's Jesus referring to here? When he says all who came before him, he certainly is not talking about the faithful prophets who pointed to his coming. It's not that. He's talking about all of those who through the ages have claimed and continue to claim that they are the answer for a lost human flock. Some come with clever words, wolves in sheep's clothing, with ulterior motives, using subtle disguises to work their deceptive plan. Others come with power, seizing what does not belong to them, demanding and controlling in order to get what they want. But they're all false. Every other Messiah, every other one who would claim to be the shepherd claimed to be worthy of the sheep following, Jesus says, they're false. I alone am the true shepherd. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew records that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. They'd been victimized by thieves and robbers who claimed to be shepherds but weren't shepherds. They were sheep without a shepherd. Though they had people calling themselves shepherds, leading them, they only cared about filling their own bellies, wearing nice wool jackets, and having a fat paycheck. They didn't care about the sheep. Thieves and robbers, Jesus said. Jesus said, I alone am the true shepherd. I alone am worthy of your trust. It's the same thing he says later when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So here, I am the door by me. If anyone enters in, he'll be saved. I am the shepherd. Who lays down my life for the sheep. Jesus alone. Is the true. Shepherd. Second truth that we ought to learn from this passage. Kind of the same truth. But with a different. Looked at it from a different side. That Jesus alone. Fills our need for a shepherd. From God's perspective. Clearly Jesus alone is the shepherd. But from our own perspective of what we need and what our hearts yawn for, long for, only Jesus fills the need that we have for a shepherd. You know, we have a saying that talk is cheap. In the words, it's easy to say anything, but can you produce what you claimed? Sometimes that's more costly and difficult. And so it is with false shepherds or messiahs. Those claiming to be shepherds talk is cheap. At first, every new leader sounds good. My, he talks our language. 
Oh, doesn't he have a handle on the situation? Oh, he's got a plan. He's got some new ideas. And so people follow. Here, perhaps, is the answer to our dilemma. Here's the answer to my soul's longing, to society's longing, whatever. But then there's always a cost. It seems that the cost gets higher as we go. And that's how it is with false messiahs. They're thieves and robbers. They're pseudo-shepherds who claim that only Jesus can produce, which is to be the solution of the need of the flock. Dr. D.A. Carson explains it pointedly in his comments on this text. I thought they were so good I'd read them to you. He says, the world still seeks its humanistic, political saviors, its Hitlers, its Stalins, its Maos, its Pol Pots, and only too late does it learn that they blatantly confiscate personal property? Or as Jesus says, they come only to steal? That they ruthlessly trample human life underfoot? Or as Jesus says, they come only to kill? That they contemptuously savage all that is valuable? Or as Jesus said way back here, they come only to destroy. Isn't that true? People rise with great claims. I'm the answer to the problems. I'm the new Messiah. We don't use that language. And yet they steal and kill and destroy. Roy Clements wrote in his book, Introducing Jesus, it is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. That's the myth. So this morning I tell you, if you have your hope firmly grounded in your favorite political candidate, or if you have your hope grounded in the advances of science and the wonders of technology, that that's going to solve our problems? Or even if you have your hope grounded in good old United States American Yankee ingenuity that somehow we're going to pull together and we've got a great system and we can do this? Or if you have your hope grounded in the fact that if we just pump some more money into education, we will educate our way out of this? I tell you, those are all false messiahs. They have no hope. You're sadly mistaken. Only Jesus can fill our need of a shepherd. Only Jesus. But that's just what he promises in these verses. Look at the benefits he promises for his sheep. I love the way Dr. James Boyce explains them. I'm just going to use his, his, his outline here. Three things, he says. Jesus promises that everyone who enters his fold will be saved. What a benefit. Verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of sin that we deserve. The guilt 
the condemnation. Saved. Saved from the power of sin that holds us in bondage by invisible chains. You can go to meetings till you're blue in the face, but how do you break the bondage? Jesus saves from that bondage. Saves even from the presence of sin when one day we will no longer have to deal with this mess. This fearsome and fallen place. But in the presence of Jesus, there will be no more sorrow and no more sin and no more dying. No more hurt, no more pain, because there's no more sin. Because he saves to the uttermost. Past, present, and future saves those who enter into his fold. This morning I tell you, no one else makes that claim. There is no one who would even claim to be able to save you from sin's penalty. To save your soul from death. No one can claim that. The best they can do is to deny that there is any such thing. So you don't need salvation. But in our heart of hearts we know that there's such a thing. Guilt is the heaviest burden we can bear. It, it beats us down into the ground. Beats us down until we might even destroy ourselves. Because we cannot rid ourselves of guilt. Who will take it away? Jesus says, he who comes... To me, he who enters the door that is me, he who knows me will know freedom from guilt. Saved. Only Jesus can fill our need of a shepherd. Second thing he promises, that everyone who enters his fold will be safe. That's what he's claiming here in verse 9 when he talks about coming in and going out. There's freedom. When we have that kind of freedom to come and go at peace. Or when we're safe, that's it. Not safe. When we're afraid, we lock ourselves behind closed doors. We, 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 we get in some secure place because we're under siege. But when we're free to come and go, we're safe. Those who belong to Jesus have him as their protector. As read in Isaiah 43, you don't have to be afraid. No matter what, fear not. I'm in control. I can handle it. Whatever happens, I'm bigger than that. Jesus says of his own sheep later in this chapter, nobody can snatch them out of my hand. In other words, Jesus alone can fill our need of a shepherd. Morning, I talk straight to some of you who are riddled by fear. Some of you who are so overwhelmed by the uncertainties of life, by what might happen tomorrow, by what might go wrong, that it just drives you into the deepest pit of despair. I call you to trust the shepherd, the one who says, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid. That his strong arm with his rod and his staff protect and care for us. That even in the face of our enemies, he spreads out the table. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus promises we are safe 
He meets our need of a shepherd. And then the third thing, Jesus promises that those who enter his, his fold will be satisfied. That's the point of, prom- of the promise. We will go in and out and find pasture. Be satisfied. Find what we need for our hungry souls. Yesterday as I was driving down to Seattle, area I was listening to public radio and I heard a discussion about the drought in Texas and the surrounding states how the cattle are overgrazing and they're destroying the hope of the future as they tear up the, the pasture land and yet there's nothing that they can do to stop it there's just no pasture it's a desperate situation price of feed is too high the price of beef is too low to get rid of the animals And to let them graze is to destroy the hope for the future. What a mess. Sometimes our lives look just like that, don't they? Nothing that will satisfy the longing of our heart. We can't turn this way. We can't turn that way. And we're ruining the future. We're borrowing against what we don't have anymore. And where are we going to turn? What are we going to do? It's desperate. This morning I point you to the great shepherd who says, Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out, and he will find pasture. He will be satisfied. Jesus isn't promising to make us rich and wealthy. He's promising to make us content, to meet our need. Jesus says it again and again. He says, look at the flowers. They're not spending their whole time trying to make clothes, but look at them. They're beautiful, beautifully dressed. Look at the birds. Who feeds them? They don't take the time to plant and save and figure it all out. Their father takes care of them. Are you not more important to me than these things, Jesus says? Jesus promises to satisfy the longing of our souls. To take care of us. You see, only Jesus can fill our need of a shepherd. It's not just a matter... That he's the only authentic shepherd that God uh, has, has, uh, has sent. That's true. But from a very practical perspective, he's the only one who does what we desperately need. End of verse 10 summarizes all these benefits. I have come that they may have life. Life to the full. Or more abundantly, another translation says. Life, Jesus brings, eternal life with God. Life, spiritual renewal. Life, more than just existence, a purpose for living, a life that's worth living. Life, not just being a survivor, but being victorious. As the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his benedictions, unto him who is able to do Not just what has to be done, or what we need, but to do all that we ask, or more than that. To do all that we ask or think, or no more than that. To do above all that we ask or think. But more than that, to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. But even more than that, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. (laughs) Only this shepherd. Fills the need of our heart. 
Jesus says, I alone am the shepherd. There aren't many. There's only one. He says, I'm the one you need. Don't follow someone else. The true sheep, they hear all those other voices. All these robbers and thieves that have come before and have come since. But they don't follow. Because they're not true. The Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the great truth. A few years ago, I tried to write some of that, these truths down in the little thing that I put to music, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but let me read you the words. Weary and frightened, the wolves are all around, wounded and driven to despair, harried and helpless, thrown down to the ground, crying, help, finding no one's there. Hungry, hurting with no one to provide, failing while dreaming of success, Stubborn, angry, resentment deep inside, driven, never finding rest. Oh, Jesus, thank you for coming to be the shepherd I so desperately need. Searching when I wander, healing when I'm wounded, with rod and staff you lead. Oh, Jesus, thank you. For coming to be the shepherd I so desperately need. Feeding in green pastures. Resting by still waters. I live abundantly. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know... That in the agony of my soul, you've taught me these truths that are bigger than I can even explain. For Lord, you alone have satisfied my soul and saved me and kept me safe. And I pray, Lord, that today that you would take the same healing balm and the same secure promises the same eternal life that you've ministered to my soul and minister it through your word to these who have heard this truth this morning Lord may each of us be able to say not just there is a shepherd or even that the Lord is the shepherd May our testimony be that the Lord is my shepherd, that Jesus is my shepherd, and I want nothing else. Do that in us, I pray this morning, in Jesus' name.